Well, I want to begin this morning with a, a couple of questions, and they're sort of broad philosophical questions. What is the purpose of life, or what is the meaning of our existence? People have been debating this question for a very, very long time. You can even at points probably find a debate somewhere where different worldviews and perspectives are clashing in this question of what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Where can meaning, purpose, and existence, why are we here? Why do we exist at all? Now, I think if you were to ask the average person on the street today or maybe where uh, you live, where you work, where you learn, and where you play, you know, probably a common response that you would hear back has to do with, well, I think our existence is for the purpose of happiness. We want to experience joy. And so pursue a life that pursues your own personal happiness. Uh, You've maybe heard of the term authentic self, the discovery of the internal you and the opportunity to live in light of that vision that you have for yourself. And when you do that, you are free, you are saved, and you will therefore enjoy life to the greatest extent possible. This is oftentimes comes to us through Disney movies, it comes to us through news, it comes to us through a whole host of different things. Find out who you are, live that true self to be happy, and that is the purpose of your life, nothing greater. Christianity, like many theistic religions, however, butts up against this worldview and says that rather than life being about your personal happiness, life is not ultimately about you. Your life and, and our lives is about the worship and the glory of God. And God has invited us and made a way for us into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And as a result of living in relationship with Jesus, we experience joy, we experience satisfaction, even though that life may mean a life of suffering. In the midst of that, we still experience contentment because of the work that Jesus is doing in our lives. Uh, Popular is the website DesiringGod.org, a ministry of John Piper. And the vision statement of that ministry is this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, God's glory is a key aspect of our purpose, and therefore what we do is we pursue a relationship with Jesus in order for this to happen in us and then through us. And I would suggest that the two values that we've already talked about as far as encounter, that as God's adopted children, we long for daily tangible encounters with him, and then as formation, that as disciples of Jesus, we desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did, touches on these very realities. Living in relationship with Jesus, experiencing the Spirit's presence in us, inviting us into deeper relationship, and then following the ways of Jesus. But then comes a third element, which is mission. And we say it in this way, and this will be on the screen for you, that as missionaries sent by the Spirit, we partner with God in his mission of putting the world back into the shape that he intended. In other words, you and I have been saved from something, ourselves, ultimately, And we've been saved to something, an invitation to the kingdom of God. And if it is true then that objectively that humanity is most satisfied in Christ, then it should follow that those who experience this would want others to be invited into this as well. 
Now, if you've spent any time within the Christian church, and certainly Church of the City, this should come as no surprise, because we talk about this as far as mission repeatedly. And yet, if many of us are honest, I would say that we struggle with this reality on a daily basis. Well, why is that? Well, I am going to show you a clip now from the Fellowship of the Ring, Lord of the Rings. I do not remember the last time I used a movie clip as an illustration, if I ever have. But um, like many of us, uh, Amazon has wooed me to the Rings of Power, and I decided, because I was receiving packages and they're advertising all over the place, so I participated. And uh, I was then like, I'm going to go back and watch the original trilogy. So here is a scene from the original trilogy, which I hope will illustrate a point that I will point out to us afterwards. If you don't get the point, that's fine. You'll know afterwards. Enjoy it. I'm not getting any kickback for this from Amazon. Just simply uh, enjoy, enjoy the clip. Aragorn is right. We cannot use it. You have only one choice. The ring must be destroyed. And what are we waiting for? The ring cannot be destroyed, Gimli, son of Gloin, by any craft that we here possess. The ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. Now I trust an elf. I 
will take the ring to Mordor. possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop it. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission. Quest. Thank you. Well, that rules you out, Pip. I am companion. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? There you go. So what in the world am I trying to illustrate? Well, there are a whole host of comparisons that we could make. But there is a mission before them, right? The destruction of the ring. Boromir then raises his voice and says, but what about all of the dangers, the, the hostility, the danger of the journey? And I think if we're honest, many of us would probably say that is the thing that holds us back from our mission. What about the hostile environment to which I enter each and every single day? How am I to be a missionary in these places? The comparison I want to emphasize and point out in particular, however, is the struggle in and amongst ourselves, looking inward as being a detriment and dissuasion to participating in the mission of God. Sometimes we talk too much, sometimes fighting, delaying the task that is before us. Hear these words again from Jesus in John 17, part of the high priestly prayer and Jesus' prayer for us his future disciples. It's on the screen. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Brothers and sisters, that's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. What is Jesus saying? 
Well, according to his own words, what he's saying is that the impact of our witness and mission in this world is interconnected to our relationships with one another and then actually in our going. Well, to help us better understand the mission that is at hand and how long this mission has actually been present, let's do some theology on the purpose and then on our commission starting in the very beginning. And so this is where your Bibles may come in handy. Let's start at the very beginning in creation. Genesis 1 verse 1, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. According to these words, we are not some accident, but that we are the work of God. He created us. He created the heavens and he created the earth. Genesis 1, 19 to 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and we read this that god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Here within these verses, we have our purpose and we have our commission. This is known as the creation mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Have sex, multiply, and scatter for the purpose of what first? Dominion and rule. In other words, this is referencing in the Hebrew to partner with God in taking the world somewhere and to subdue, harness the raw materials of the planet and make something beautiful. In other words, from the very beginning, you and I are invited to work for human flourishing in the context of community with one another. God then says, let us make man in our image, our, speaking of the Trinity, God in community. What this means is that you and me were made for relationship, to be in community, and to then to extend God's rule and his reign alongside one another throughout the cosmos. This is page one and two. But then, of course, we have page three, rebellion or other terms for it, are the fall. And this commission, this extending the rule and reign of God has been affected. The work to which that we have been invited now feels like toil. This is why we have those difficult days. I don't want to go to work today. And the bentness of our hearts at times is towards 
not God and one another, but towards ourselves. Sometimes what happens is we want to extend our own rule and reign, and we, as a result, we might even infight, as poignantly seen if you look at the story of Babel in Genesis 11. We encourage you to read that later. But you know what? God knows this, and yet look what he does next. Promise. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And notice what God says to him. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Another way of describing what is happening is here is that God is ultimately not giving up on his people. He doesn't give up on his original purpose, intent, and desire for his creation, for his rule and reign, for his glory to be extended throughout the world. And here we see that through Abraham, the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, Abraham's family becomes the prism through which God's grace shines to the world through this community. The story and mission continues. After their slavery in Egypt, God sets them free. And in Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6, we read this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now Israel here, through their obedience to God, God is inviting them to be his treasured, think about this, his treasured possession amongst all peoples. He calls them that when they live in obedience to him, that they are going to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to think just about that, the language of priests in reference to their role between people and God. They're going to be a holy nation. They're going to be a living example to others of God's grace at play in the world. But tragically, the results of the fall continue. And instead of drawing the nations to the Lord, the people of Israel, as you read the story of the Old Testament, are drawn towards the way of the nations. Instead of obeying God and being a kingdom of priests, the people look to their own interests and obey their own desires rather than God's. The people do not act in a way and live in such a way as to be the prism through which God's grace could be understood and experienced in the world. Yet God continues to not give up on his people. As we then, he sends his prophets who continue to remind Israel of who they're called to be and what they've been commissioned to do. In Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4, we read these, these words. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains 
and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and decide disputes between the peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Israel is invited to be this mountain where people would come and learn the ways of God, his kingdom, his rule, and his reign. And once again, tragically, they fail to be this mountain, the prism of God's grace, the extension of his rule and his reign, his kingdom. And so God has always had another way. He's always had a plan of redemption. And this is then the plan of redemption. The prophets tell of a coming servant who will embody and be all that Israel was called to be, the light of and to the world. Isaiah 49, verse 6. It is to light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Enter Jesus, God's plan of redemption. And then in Matthew 1, verse 1, page 1 of the New Testament, as it comes to us, we read this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. If you have your Bible, what does it say? The son of Abraham, properly understood but abraham if you know abraham the covenant to abraham is therefore coming to pass through jesus through the lineage of abraham the earth will in fact be blessed then in matthew 28 verses 18 to 19 jesus says to his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, what is he doing? He's sending his disciples to the nations to be a blessing, to continue extending his rule and his reign via now the gospel in word and in deed throughout the cosmos, throughout the world. What's the result? The Christian community, the church, continues to be the means by which God fulfills his promise to Abraham and the community in which God promises to be present and with them. As we read in Matthew 28, verse 20. And then Jesus in the Gospels, as you maybe are aware, describes this community in a whole myriad of ways. One example in Matthew 5 is salt and light, that Christians, the Christian community, is to be a new salt community different and distinct from the old salt community of the Old Testament, that they're going to be light, that Jesus is the new light, and then the people are then bearers of that light to the world, and in a sense, light themselves to the world. Once again, the prism through which people will experience God's grace in the world. And then we have in the New Testament, the church. 
the church. Here is a description of these first disciples of Jesus once the Holy Spirit had come and they begin to form this Christian community that will be the prism of God's grace to the world. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then we have this line. And the Lord added there to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. These are powerful and beautiful descriptions of the mission and the activity of the early church, a community that truly seems to be understanding themselves as the prism by which the world would hear and see the grace of God both in word and in deed. In describing the church, Britt Merrick in his book Godspeed describes the church as the people of God in this way. The church is the people of God, called by God, sent by God for the glory of God to meet the needs of the world with God. Amen? Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, the church is not something additional or optional. It is at the very heart of God's purposes. Jesus came to create a people who would model what it means to live under his rule. It would be a glorious outpost of the kingdom of God, an embassy of heaven. This is where the world can see what it means to be truly human. Our identity as human beings is found in community. Our identity as Christians is found in Christ's new community. And our mission takes place through communities of light. And then we long and we look forward to the day if we close out this story of God, of restoration, of Revelation 21, verses 3 to 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be them with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. At that time, God will be fully present with us. The kingdom of God will have fully broken in. The kingdom of darkness will be defeated. And therefore, the mission in that sense is over because God is now with us. And we are experiencing his presence fully. This is the mission of God from page one to the end. And we find ourselves in that, in that middle season of the church called to be communities of light, to be the prism by which the world can experience God's grace tangibly through the gospel in word and in deed. 
So then the question for us is, as a church, as church of the city, how do we pursue being this type of community on mission? And how are we trying to look beyond ourselves and activate ourselves from faith to action? One, I believe it begins, as we put it, in a sub-value of this value in the everyday stuff of life. Our mission is to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples in the everyday stuff of life, where we live, where we work, where we learn, and where we play. This is life on mission, both individually and also in community. Whether you call your community a missional one or not, we are invited to make disciples in community with one another. And it is on mission with each other that the Spirit is displayed. We do not go alone. You and I cannot go on our own strength. You know, I love in the scene, if we go back to the scene from, from the Fellowship of the Ring, you know, Mary and Pippin, I forget which one, which is the one that says like, so where are we going? You know, that is just a beautiful display of our discipleship on mission sometimes, where some of us are like, what's going on? Where are we headed? What are we doing? But that's faith in action. I'm with these people, and we go along, and eventually, as we know the story, if you've seen the movie, Mary and Pippin really get wooed to the reality of what they're going to do. Secondly, justice, our aim is to live the gracious and generous way of Jesus using our privilege, resources, time, and energy to serve those in need, to empower the powerless, protect the vulnerable, inside and outside the church, locally and globally. We hope to be a church that works towards God's justice and shalom by restoring broken relationships and systems in the world. We hope that there would no longer be no needy persons among us and that the marginalized will be heard. This connects deeply to how we understand the gospel of the good news of God rescuing and renewing creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Then we have kingdom. Our aim is to be a kingdom-focused people. We believe that the kingdom of God is the healing, life-giving rule of God and where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But the kingdom of God, as we read there in Revelation, is also coming in the future when Jesus comes back to extend God's rule over everything. And so we hope to be participants in the renewal of all things as we partner with churches to serve our cities, do justice, and preach the good news of Jesus. And this is where we want to pursue kingdom over brand. Jesus people working together, being one, so that others will experience what we have experienced. And then fourthly, church planting. Our aim is to recapture a theology of place, to be a kingdom presence everywhere God has placed us. We hope to carry the gospel forward locally and globally by making disciples who plant contextual churches that honor and reflect the cultures and ethnicities they are planted among. One such plant that we have planted is a church in Brampton led by a church, church planter named Jeremiah Thomas and his wife Catherine. And they are planting, in our view, a contextual church to reach new Canadians in that context in the city of Brampton. And so these are four ways, as I said, the everyday justice, kingdom, and church planting. 
the places where we live, where we work, where we learn, and where we play. Would you stand with me? We are believing increasingly that as Avery shared earlier of the power and importance of things called vocational groups. Uh, Groups of people able to come together who are in the same sector, the same field, and to truly share stories of how can we be kingdom people in the midst of this place that we are working. If you have interest in joining a vocational group, I'd encourage you to speak to Spencer because he would love to talk to you more about what that looks like in the groups that we already have formed, and maybe you'd be interested in leading one for the particular sector or field that you find yourself in. But I just want to pray over each of you today, as I prayed over teachers, that in every sector, maybe it's at home, maybe it's with your kids at home, maybe it's healthcare, maybe it's uh, the private sector in some way, business, you are invited by God to be with others, the prism through which God's grace is experienced in the world, in that place. And so I want to pray a prayer over you today. And then we'll worship Jesus together in song. And so God, earlier we had individuals from our education systems and structures stand. And we thank you again for them. But now, Lord Jesus, I also pray for each individual that is standing now in the places where they work, in the places where they learn, in the places where they play, and of course, in the places that they live. God, would you continue to empower them to step out in faith? God, there is a task at hand, a great task at hand, a dangerous task at hand. And there is hostility, and there is fear, and there are barriers that increasingly seem to be just multiplying upon themselves. Yet, Lord Jesus, your commission remains the same. Your vision for us remains the same. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You promise your presence with us. And so would you help us, Lord Jesus, to be creative, to come up with ways to pursue this, to do this in partnership and in collaboration with you. We want to trust you, Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I commission your people here that are gathered that as we go from here, would we sense and know your Spirit's presence And God, would we truly desire to see people who do not have relationship with you come into saving relationship with you. God, there are so many people looking to so many different places for good news, for purpose, for meaning. Yet we, Lord Jesus, believe that we have that answer. So would we trust you? In your son's name we pray. Amen.